know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on and talk with you is that a lot of times uh, we, we look at the culture, we look at the environment, and we see our society, and we see how broken it is. Mm-hmm. And because of the separation between the gospel of, uh, that has an effect, a sanctifying effect on our culture, a corporate sanctifying effect on our culture, we, f- we forget that part. The liberals have taken the kind of the hope of the gospel um, in time and space, and they progressified it. If that's, you know, they, they made mm-hmm. it. It's been kind of a progressive attitude and social justice gospel pushed on it rather than the gospel that transforms hearts for the purpose of uh, restoring the world back to a better garden. Right. 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 (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. one of the areas that we don't question this reality, we we might question in politics, we might question in culture, society and economics. We never question it when it comes to missions. Hmm. And so it's like the Going to a missionary reminds people of the effect of the gospel in time and space and the outcome of it. And you have like firsthand experience of that. Mm. And so, you know, when I was asking, like, where were the people at and then where are they at now is what I didn't right. get a chance to ask. But I kind of mm-hmm. want to talk like, where are the people at culture and society? And, um, and then how have you seen the, the work of the gospel transform the society because of changed people? Right. Yeah. We have, we have uh, you know, I want, I would love to say that, you know, today the entire Bakwe people have come to Christ and they're yeah. all, you know. Oh, um, yeah. I want to say that uh, about America. And, and I know it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. I really believe that um, because of the promises of God, right? Mm. So, but the, we have seen changes. Um, Protestant churches were not allowed to hold services in the Bakwe area. We were, when we were starting the church there, we weren't allowed to play drums on Sunday. And that's what the churches use, a Protestant church use drums. Um, and we did it anyway. We, we did, and nothing happened. Um, you know, they said, well, you're gonna, the spirits are going to get you for that, and nothing happened. Um, the fear of sorcery is still there, but it's a lot less as more and more uh, people are coming accident, to Christ. Right? And it's not an accident, absolutely. It's not just because electricity finally came to the village, you yeah, know, and the right. lights are on, right? That was our latest backstage content of Healing Cultures Through Christian Missionaries with Saba Liedenfrost. You can hear the rest of that talk back in the club portal, hint, hint. Sign up for a club membership today at fightlaughfeast.com. That's fightlaughfeast.com. And also check into those magazine subscriptions while you're at it. Now, let's get to the news. This is Garrison Hardy with your Cross Politic Daily News Brief for Friday, January 20th, 2023. New Supreme Court report fails to identify leaker of Roe v. Wade draft opinion. The Supreme Court released a report stating that after a months long internal investigation, internal, the leaker of a draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade last year couldn't be identified. The leak shattered the image of the Supreme Court, which has long prided itself on maintaining proper decorum and on keeping as confidential the deliberations as the justices in cases argued before the court. The day after the leak, Chief Justice John Roberts said there would be an investigation. But despite his insurances, the unprecedented leak reportedly caused internal disruptions at the court and changed the atmosphere behind the scenes while giving rise to ramp and speculation about the motives of the leaker or leakers. Some said the leak was intended to generate a public backlash that would intimidate conservative justices into leaving Roe intact, while others speculated that it was calculated to pressure the conservative justices who had already signaled a willingness to reverse Roe to stay the course and actually do it. 
Supreme Court justices, including Justice Samuel Alito, who wrote both the draft and published versions of the opinion, previously described the leak of the document as a grave betrayal. In recent months, various justices had an update on the progress of the investigation that was coming, but no updates followed until the formal release of the report. The leak was followed by months of raucous protests at the homes of the conservative justices in Maryland and Virginia, targeted harassment of justices and public by left-wing activists and angry words in Congress. One man was arrested and charged with plotting to kill Justice Brett Kavanaugh. The report on Supreme Court Marshal Gail Curley's investigation was issued midday, January 19th. The Supreme Court ruled on June 24, 2022, in Dobbs v. Jackson's Women's Health Organization, that there's no constitutional right to abortion overturning Roe v. Wade, the 1973 precedent that legalized abortion nationwide. The Dobbs ruling returned the regulation of abortion to the states. Five conservative justices voted to reverse Roe. Roberts, also considered a conservative, voted to uphold the restrictive Mississippi abortion law in question, but wrote that he wouldn't have overturned Roe. Three liberal justices issued a strongly worded joint dissent. Somehow, an early version of the draft majority opinion in Dobbs made its way to the media, a first-of-its-kind leak of a full high court opinion. Politico published the draft document, dated February 10, 2022, on May 2, 2022, without disclosing its source. In the end, the draft document wasn't much different than the official published opinion. The investigation itself is continuing a According to the report elsewhere, Trump, he's probably coming back to Twitter, according to sources close to the GOP. Former President Donald Trump is looking to return to Twitter and Facebook. Trump, whose account was reinstated following the purchasing of Twitter by Tesla and SpaceX CEO Elon Musk, has stuck to his own platform, Truth Social, despite his account's unsuspended status. A Republican with knowledge of private discussions on Trump's potential return to Twitter, who spoke with NBC News on condition of staying anonymous, said, quote, Trump is probably coming back to Twitter. It's just a question of how and when. He's been talking about it for weeks, but Trump speaks for Trump, so it's anyone's guess what he'll do or say when. Another person close to Trump told the outlet that Trump has sought input on his potential return to Twitter for weeks and that his campaign advisors have been workshopping ideas for his first tweet on the platform in over two years. Some Trump advisors said that the 2024 presidential hopeful could be limited in posting to other social media platforms since he founded Truth Social. A spokesman for Trump told NBC, though, that the campaign believes he would be able to return to Twitter as before. Trump was banished from the popular social media platform on January 8, 2021, two days after the Capitol riot on January 6th. Trump previously said that he would not be returning to the platform and that he would stick to Truth Social. Quote, Truth Social is through the roof, he said. Talks of Trump's potential return to Twitter comes as Trump's campaign has petitioned for his Facebook account to be reinstated as the account nears the end of its two-year suspension. The Facebook ban enacted on January 7, 2021 was for an initial period of two years, after which it would come up for a review. 
Moving on, Alec Baldwin to be charged with involuntary manslaughter in fatal rust shooting. On Thursday, prosecutors announced that they will charge Alec Baldwin and armorer Hannah Gutierrez-Reed with two counts each in involuntary manslaughter in the fatal shooting of cinematographer Helena Hutchins on Baldwin's Rust set. The announcement of the charge comes after over two years after Alec Baldwin shot and killed 42-year-old cinematographer Helena Hutchins and injured director Joel Souza with a live round from a prop gun. According to CBS News national correspondent Chris Van Cleve, assistant director David Hall has signed a plea agreement for the charge of a negligent use of a deadly weapon. The terms include a suspended sentence and six months probation. No charges were filed in connection with the shooting of Russ director Joel Souza, who was injured but survived. In a statement from New Mexico First Judicial District Attorney Mary Carmack Altwise, she stated that her office will file criminal charges against the two by the end of the month. Involuntary manslaughter is a fourth degree felony in the state of New Mexico and carries an 18th month jail sentence and a $5,000 fine. Carmack Altwise noted that the other charges involuntary manslaughter in the commission of a lawful act, which is also a fourth degree felony carrying the same sentencing. In 2021, Baldwin had said in an interview with George Stephanopoulos that he didn't pull the trigger, but a later FBI analysis concluded that he did, in fact, pull the trigger. It was found that the prop gun had been loaded with live rounds and that the gun had misfired multiple times leading up to the fatal shooting. In April of 2022, New Mexico's Occupational Health and Safety Bureau fined Rust Movie Productions $136,793, the maximum possible fine. The Bureau also reportedly issued a scale narrative of safety failures in violation of standard industry protocols, which included testimony from the production's manager, took little to no action to address two previous misfires leading up to the fatal October shooting. They also documented numerous gun safety complaints brought forth by crew members that they say went unnoticed and said that weapons specialists were not allowed to make decisions regarding additional safety training. The production's head armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, had previously had a number of complaints lodged against her in regard to concerns concerns over her careless handling of weapons. Gutierrez-Reed and her assistants had also been allegedly been playing with weapons on the set of Rust. Hutchins had reportedly been advocating for safer conditions for her team. In November of 2022, Baldwin launched a lawsuit against several crew members of the film for reckless and dereliction of duty. The suit named Hannah Gutierrez-Reed the chief armorer, Assistant Director David Halls, Prop Master Sarah Zachary, and Seth Kenny, the gun supplier. The previous month, Baldwin settled with Hutchins' family in a wrongful death suit. As part of the agreement, Matthew Hutchins, Helena's widower, will act as an executive producer when the film resumes production. In October 2022, it was revealed that Rust would resume production in January, but the production would not resume in New Mexico, according to Variety. Now this, Sister Andre, the world's oldest person, dies at age 118. Lucille Randone, the French nun who was the world's oldest living person and the oldest person to survive COVID-19, died in her sleep on Tuesday, January 17th at the Saint Catherine Labour nursing home in the town of Toulon. 
Randone was less than a month away from celebrating her 119th birthday, multiple outlets reported. Born on February 11, 1904, Randone worked as a teacher, governess, and child care provider before becoming a Catholic nun in 1944. After becoming a nun, Randone took the name of Senior Andre. Randone was declared to be the oldest person living, that's for females, an oldest person living following the death of 119-year-old Kane Tanaka of Japan on April 19, 2022. This according to Guinness Book of World Records. During her life, Randone spent nearly 30 years working with orphans and the elderly at a hospital in Vichy. Randone told Guinness World Records that she enjoyed eating chocolate and other sweets as a guilty pleasure and had a glass of wine each day. She also credited her long life to hard work, telling French media in 2022 that she worked until she was 108 years old. Randone was what's known as a super centenarian, someone who lives over the age of 110. The world's eight verified oldest living people are all women, according to the Gerontology Research Group's website. Four of the top eight were born in Japan, three were born in the United States, and one was born in France, and one in Brazil. Moving on, Microsoft, Amazon, and other tech companies have laid off more than 60,000 employees in the last year. The job cuts in Techland are piling up as companies that led the 10-year bull market adapt to new reality. Microsoft said Wednesday that it's letting go of 10,000 employees, which will reduce the company's headcount by less than 5%. Amazon also began a fresh round of job cuts that are expected to eliminate more than 18,000 employees and become the largest workforce reduction in the e-retailer's 28-year history. The layoffs come in a period of slowing growth, higher internet interest rates to battle inflation, and fears of a possible recession next year. Here are some of the major cuts in the tech industry thus far. All numbers are approximations based on filings, public statements, and media reports. For Microsoft, 10,000 jobs cut. Microsoft is reducing 10,000 workers through March 31st as the software maker braces for slower revenue growth. The company is also taking a $1.2 billion charge. Quote, I'm confident that Microsoft will emerge from this stronger and more competitive CEO, Satya Nadella, announced in a memo to employees that was posted on the company website Wednesday. Some employees will find out this week if they're losing their jobs, he wrote. Amazon. 18,000 jobs cut. Earlier this month, Amazon CEO Andy Jassy said the company was planning to lay off more than 18,000 employees, primarily in its human resources and stores divisions. It came after Amazon said in November it was looking to cut staff, including in its devices and recruiting organizations. CNBC reported at the time that the company was looking to lay off about 10,000 employees. Amazon went on a hiring spree during the COVID-19 pandemic. The company's global workforce swelled to more than 1.6 million by the end of 2021, up from 798,000 in the fourth quarter of 2019. Elsewhere, Salesforce. Salesforce cuts 7,000 jobs. Salesforce is cutting 10% of its personnel and reducing some office space as part of a restructuring plan. The company announced on January 4th it employed more than 79,000 workers as of December. In a letter to employees, co-CEO Mark Beinhoff said customers have been more measured in their purchasing decisions given the challenging macroeconomic macroeconomic, there we go, environment, which led Salesforce to make the very difficult decision to lay off workers. Salesforce said it will record charges of $1 billion to $1.4 billion related to the headcount reductions and $450 to $650 million related to the office space reductions. Meta 
Facebook parent Meta, 11,000 jobs cut, announced the most significant round of layoffs ever in November. The company said it plans to eliminate 13% of its staff, which again amounts to the more than 11,000 employees. Meta's disappointing guidance for the fourth quarter of 2022 wiped out one-fourth of the company's market cap and pushed the stock to its lowest level since 2016. The tech giant's cuts come after it expanded headcount by about 60% during the pandemic. The business has been hurt by competition from its rivals such as TikTok, a broad slowdown in online ad spending, and challenges from Apple's iOS changes. How about Twitter? Twitter lost 3,700 jobs shortly after closing his $44 billion purchase of Twitter in late October. New owner Elon Musk cut around 3,700 Twitter employees, according to internal communications viewed by CNBC. That's about half the staff. Since then, significantly more employees have quit after Musk changed some policies around working from home and wrote that he expected all employees to commit to a hardcore work environment. In a tweet on November 4th, Musk said there was no choice but to lay off employees as the company was losing $4 million a day. Finally, it's time for my favorite topic, sports. Philadelphia Flyers' Ivan Provorov stands by his faith, refuses to wear LGBTQ plus Pride Night jersey. Good for you, Provorov. During the recent match between the Philadelphia Flyers and the Anaheim Ducks, one member of the Flyers did not wear the Pride Night-themed rainbow warm-up jersey meant to show support for the LGBTQ plus mirage. Defenseman Ivan Provorov, a religious Christian and part of the Russian Orthodox Church, abstained from taking part of the compulsory endorsement of beliefs that go against his faith. For his refusal, the Flyers put out a politically correct response before the online mob descended on them. The reports of Provorov's refusal to wear the Pride Night jersey were confirmed by head coach John Tortorella, who, unlike the statement released by the unnamed team spokesperson, praised the player for standing by his faith instead of throwing him under the bus. Before the game, um, there was a report that he wasn't in warm-ups because he didn't want to wear the, the Pride jersey for Pride Night. Do you have any comment on that? Yeah, I, I think the organization has sent out a release regarding the organization, the, the beliefs that we have uh, and how we feel about it, and really a great night. Um, with Provi, uh, uh, he, he's being true to himself and to his religion. This has to do with his belief in his religion. And it's one thing I respect about Provi. He's always true to himself. Uh, and so that's that's where we're at with that. Um, was there any consideration on your part when he chose not to wear the jersey to not play him as a result? No, no. I'm not going to answer many more questions on it because I, I just think it's unfair. Uh, I know you're going to probably talk to Provi, but... Um, yeah, that, that, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I, I think it was a great night in celebrating. Uh, organization has put out a, a statement, and I'm not going to get too deep into the conversation. Provorov did speak with the media where he affirmed his position not to take part in the LGBTQ plus propaganda. And uh, Tort says he respects the decision you made. It's for religious purposes. Can you... Uh expand on that a little bit yeah i uh i respect everybody and i respect everybody's choices my choice is to stay true to myself and my religion that's all i'm gonna say good on you Provorov. good on you 
And that's going to do it for this Cross-Politic Daily News Brief. If you like the show, hit that share button for me down below. If you want to sign up for a club membership or a magazine subscription, head over to FightLaughFeast.com. And as always, if you want to ask me about our conference this year at the Ark Encounter, if you want to send me a news story, or if you want to become a corporate partner of CrossPolitik, email me at Garrison at FightLaughFeast.com. For CrossPolitik News, I'm Garrison Hardy. Have a great weekend, everyone, and Lord bless.